If I can encourage you in that, maybe you're weak. Maybe it didn't look like a deployment to Afghanistan, but whatever it looked like, God wants you to come out of tonight, come out of this week, going into next week, like she said, looking more like Christ. So we know that just as worship ministered to us, God's word is set to minister to us. So you can be seated tonight. Can we give it up for the worship team as well? I want to give a, a special shout out to Lyric. It was her first time up here with a live crowd. And I was talking to her, you know, that they're over there before service. She's like, I'm so nervous. But, you know, her level of nervousness is no doubt met now by Sean's level of pride as her father, he was mixing sound tonight. And no doubt he, he, he looks on her with pride. And I was just thinking during worship about how Sean, in those moments, if he wanted to, he could turn down everything else on that soundboard and turn his daughter up to where she's the only thing we hear in the house. And it's just this picture of God the Father as we're singing to him tonight. He hears your voice. He knows your situation. He sees you, his son, and his daughter. And he, you bring him joy. Like the same way Lyric brought Sean joy, the same way Raj, he's here tonight for one of the first times since <laughs> the whole coronavirus mess happened. He was up there in the balcony. And that brought me joy. I look back. You thought I was going to stay down here and not go up there and hug him. You're crazy. I went up there and hugged him during worship and the same way as you come into his presence, whether it's here in this sanctuary, whether it's your couch at home, wherever you are, where you're setting aside a time for God, he sees you pressing into his presence and it brings him joy. So I just want to encourage you in that tonight as we dig into God's word. But whether you're, again, here or online, welcome to City Life, where we are in a summer series called Protagonists Anonymous. And we're learning that just because somebody doesn't get a lot of ink in Scripture doesn't mean that they don't have a lot to teach us. Right, there are some 3,200, over 3,200 characters in Scripture. And just because they have minor roles doesn't mean that they can't teach us major lessons in life. So tonight, we're going to be turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 to meet tonight's protagonist. So whether you got your Bible, hopefully you got that, you can turn there. Maybe you're swiping there on your phone. But as you're doing that tonight, we got a video to show you on the screen. So y'all thought I was joking when I joked about a month ago I was going to show more movie clips for my sermons. Because like I said, that time when I was in Suffolk, there were a couple, you know, TV screens on the wall. Now I'm in front of like a movie screen. And it gives me, you know, feel we were planted in Regal Cinemas off Victory Boulevard, a movie theater. So I'm just going to keep them coming. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was Born Identity. That movie is 20 years old. And I realized as we have kids in here with us, let's show something that maybe they know about, <laughs> that they're familiar with. So we've got that scene from the Avengers, right, with Iron Man and Spider-Man. And I could have picked a scene like that from any number of movies, and maybe you're like, what kind of scene are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about a scene where the protagonist, in this case, the hero, meets their mentor, right? And this mentor in their lives, it, it, it helps the unsure and unequipped protagonist both face the unknown and accept the adventures in front of them. Again, that's a recent movie, but if I wanted to take it 20 years back, I could do that too, right? There's Frodo and Gandalf. There is Harry Potter and Dumbledore, Neo and Morpheus. Go back even further, a couple more decades. You got uh, Daniel's son and Mr. Miyagi. You have uh, Rocky and Mickey. You've got Luke Skywalker and Yoda. And then you go all the way back into ancient literature. You've got King Arthur and Merlin, Beowulf and King Hrothgar, and then Odysseus and Athena. For every hero, there's almost always a hero maker because, as we often say, heroes aren't born, they're made. 
And we see it again and again in the stories of many protagonists in literature and in our movies and in pop culture. And, and it's what we talk about in literature. Sorry, I say we because I'm a recovering English major. Uh, we talk about in literature as the hero's journey. And it's something that Joseph Campbell wrote about in his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And the book is called that because in all these stories we have throughout time of heroes and protagonists, for all the different characters, they often go on a very similar journey. And it's one that he breaks down in a circle with 12 stages, almost like a clock. And it's very early in, the, in these stages. It's stage four where the hero meets their mentor. It's a stage for character development as they receive confidence, they receive equipping, wisdom, skills that they need, again, to face the unknown and step into the adventure ahead of them. And it's also where so often the mentor will push them out of their comfort zone to the point where they're questioning everything because if you've been around the block a couple times, you know that you don't grow in your comfort zone. So it's that role of that mentor to push them out of their comfort zone to a place where they can grow. You know, the author John Crosby once said, a mentor is a brain to pick a shoulder to cry on, and a kick in the seat of the pants. You know, we, all, we need all three of those in different stages of our journey. But you know, in our culture, our Western culture, we're so often misled to believe that the potential we have, the greatness we have is inside of us, so to tap into it, we turn inward. And then in this idea of potential, we diminish the value and contributions of the people around us. So this thought that we can somehow operate through the chorus of independence in our culture and do it on our own, it so often causes people to live beneath their capacity. And I'm not just talking from literature and pop culture. There's a survey done by the Harvard Business Review that interviewed hundreds of successful CEOs because most of our uh, uh, culture would love to be a successful CEO. So what is their secret sauce? Like, are, what are they doing? They waking up early, reading lots of books? Are they vegan? What's, what's their secret, right? And so the, out of all these hundreds of CEOs, the one common thread they could find became the title of the article, which was called, Everyone Who Makes It Has a Mentor. And you could take it from a study of hundreds of CEOs to a study that was done with thousands of students that found that students with mentor relationships did better in class, finished more assigned work, improved in academics, and upon graduation typically earned more as employees than those who hadn't had a mentor. Praise Jesus for David, just to hear him say, mm, right, during that. Praise Jesus for the youth ministry that is mentoring our students. But this shouldn't surprise us, right, that I'm not borrowing just from pop culture and movies and books and surveys. It's, it's right there in Scripture for us. In the book of Proverbs alone, and I'm reading these from the message version. Proverbs 15:22 says, refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. Proverbs 11:14 says, without good direction, people lose their way. But the more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. And then I love Proverbs 20:18. Form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out by using all the help you can get. And then you, you look through the narrative portions of Scripture. Moses mentors Joshua, right? Naomi mentored Ruth, Elijah, and Elisha, Mordecai, and Esther, Jesus, and the disciples. You see it throughout Scripture. But back to the mentors you study in lit class, uh, you can put them in classifications and groups. Like you've got the guide, what Gandalf was to Frodo. You've got the trainer, which is what Hamish was to Katniss, or, or again, Mickey to Rocky. You've got the the father or mother figure, right, like Tony Starks to Peter Parker in that video. And then you've got what's called the priest, right, the religious mentor. And I share that because in 2 Chronicles 24, as we turn to our text tonight, we're going to see a courageous priest 
and an adolescent king that he mentors. It's Jehoiada and Joash. And our protagonist, Joash, he's found in the books of Kings and Chronicles, both of them. And both of these narratives are historical accounts that follow the lineage of David. Because if you read David's story, God says to him, your throne is going to endure. And as you read scripture, there's this realization that a messianic king is going to come from his lineage, right? The Messiah. So Kings and Chronicles are both historical accounts of this lineage. And a lot of the kings, they don't get a lot of ink. Because a lot, by biblical standards, a lot of them were just crummy kings. Prone to idolatry, prone to pride. Almost all of them are just reckless and terrible kings by the Bible standards. For instance, King Omri of Israel's northern kingdom, by secular standards, right, and historical records and studies of this king, again, by secular standards, he is the most successful king that the northern kingdom of Israel ever saw. He was this, this dynamic leader. He led these military conquests that, that pushed the borders farther than they'd ever been. There was so much prosperity, and yet in the Bible, he only gets eight verses. Because in the Bible, it says of Omri that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. And it just speaks to, to legacy and asks, what kind of legacy are you most hungry to leave? The one that looks impressive in the eyes of man or the one that impresses the heart of God? So where does King Joash fall in this? Again, his story, if you're taking notes, it's told in 2 Kings 11 through 12. And then again in 2 Chronicles 22 through 24. He actually gets a decent amount of ink in spite of the fact that he's largely forgotten today. But don't worry, I'm not about to read three chapters of narrative text out of 2 Chronicles tonight. But I will give you the cliff notes. Because Joash's father we meet in chapter 22, King Ahaziah. And his mother... Joash's grandmother, Athaliah, it says was Ahaziah's counselor in wickedness. Or as another translation says, she encouraged him to act wickedly. She was his mentor. She was the biggest influence in his life, and she ruined his life. And I share that because make no mistake, there are influences in your life that are influencing you right now. There are voices in your life that are shaping you from the music we listen to, to the news we watch, to the social media we consume, to the friends we have, to the family that speaks into our lives. You're going to be influenced for fear or love, for division or unity, for compassion. Scripture speaks of negative influences as leaven that can ruin the whole loaf. And, and Ahaziah's proverbial loaf got ruined in a big way. Because chosen poorly, your influence can be your undoing, right? Athaliah isn't just the end of Ahaziah either. It's the end of his children. When he's murdered because of his wicked reign, she takes all his kids, her own grandchildren, and has them killed so that she can rule. We're talking pure evil. And again, remember, this is the lineage of David. This is the lineage that the Messiah was going to come from And it's one of the most significant moments in the lineage of Jesus because it's almost wiped out. It's almost eliminated were it not for the forgotten heroics of a forgotten man, Jehoiada. He was the priest in the temple, and he took the youngest son of Ahaziah, this baby named Joash, and he hides him off in the temple. So one feeble, sheltered infant is all that's left of David's line and Jesus' lineage. So while Athaliah reigned for seven reckless, wicked years, Joash is hiding in the one place that her idol-worshiping self would never look, the temple. And after seven years, it's all here in Scripture. They execute this plan to proclaim his right to kingship. And Athaliah freaks out, runs to the temple, gets there too late, and she's killed 
So at seven years old, Joash becomes king over the northern kingdom. How many of you would give your seven-year-old or, or any of your kids reign over your home, or let alone a room in your home, let alone a nation, right? But Jehoiada serves as his mentor, his advisor, right? He influences him. He guides him. He's a father figure. And where his grandmother had influenced his father for evil and wickedness, Joash was influenced by Jehoiada for good. Again, you're going to be influenced this week. You're going to influence others this week. Who's saying to you, hey, follow me as I follow Christ? Who are you saying to somebody else, hey, follow me as I follow Christ? Which begs the question again, what are you following? What's the loudest voice in your life? What's the biggest influence in your perspective and your heart every day? Because a lot of church folk, they'll spend more time with, with the news or Facebook than they do with Jesus, and it shows, right? Because we become influencers of division instead of love, of fear instead of hope. What's influencing you? What's the loudest voice in your life? Because you come back to Joash, under the influence of Jehoiada, they get off to a glorious start. Jehoiada takes the whole nation, right, brings King Joash together, the nation together, and they make a covenant with God, right, between King Joash and the people, between them and God. And then we see Joash, right, this young man who spent his first seven years in this temple that was neglected and falling apart. He's like, hey, I spent seven years in there. We got we to remodel this thing. And so they start working on the temple. I'm sure he knew every step that creaked. He knew the stain in the carpet over there because that's where he was crawling when he was a toddler, right? He knew everything that needed to be done in that temple, and he grew up in the temple. It shouldn't surprise us that he had a heart for the temple. But you know the pivot of the whole narrative, right? If you've got your Bible, the, the verse you need to underline or, or highlight, the, the, the verse you need to write down if you're taking notes, it's 2 Chronicles 24, verse 2. It says, Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. And what's implied is that Jehoiada wasn't around forever. He stuck around longer than most. He lived over 100 years before he died, and they buried him with the kings, right? This guy was a living legend, preserved the lineage of King David. They buried him among the kings. And Joash, you do the math, he was about 30 years old at the time of his mentor's death. Again, you think for the first 30 years of his life, this guy was a father figure. This guy was a mentor. He had been with him for 30 years, pouring into him. Yet you read the very next verse, and Joash finds a new influence. It says, after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshiped Asherah poles and idols instead. Because of this sin... Divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem. So you have this man, Joash, spent his first seven years in the temple, ordered the restoration of the temple. And then at the, the advice of people that bowed before him, right? Be careful of the people that would flatter you and bow before you. He, he abandons it. And think about the people in your life who grew up into the church, poured into the church, built the church, then do a seeming 180 and just walk away. You know, sometimes it's tragic. It's, it's that church's fault. But sometimes what looks like the fruit of faithfulness is simply compliance to an influence until another one comes along. Right? Good starts don't guarantee happy endings. Good starts like Joe Ashes is no guarantee of a happy ending. You don't have to look any further than the parable of the four soils, right, where the first seed falls and gets snatched up by the birds. But the next three seeds all shoot up immediately. There's immediate growth. But two out of those three 
One gets scorched, and again, the other gets choked out by thorns and weeds. And that one that gets scorched is because it has shallow roots. The roots never went deep. And in this agrarian society where Jesus was teaching this parable, they all knew, like, early growth is cool, but if there's no fruit and there's no harvest, it's useless. Like, who cares about early growth if I don't have a harvest for my family? And you won't have fruit without roots. And we see that Joash's faith ultimately was without roots because his faith wasn't rooted in his character, but a shallow compliance to whatever the loudest voice in the room was. And as soon as a new voice influenced him to go another direction, he complied and compromised. And before we even go further with the application, the story gets worse. You keep reading in in verse 24, and Jehoiada's son, again, the priest Jehoiada, his son, Zechariah, it says the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he prophesies to the people. This is what he says as he prophesies to the people. He says, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You have abandoned the Lord, and now he has abandoned you. Mind you, he doesn't name names, doesn't drag anyone through the mud, doesn't slander anyone. He's just speaking about the covenant that the nation had made with God. And Joash is so triggered by this and angered by this that he has him stoned to death. This is what scripture says. That was how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty, by killing his son. Zechariah's last words as he died were, may the Lord see what they are doing and avenge my death. And unlike Jehoiada, when Joash eventually dies after this downward spiral, he's not honored for a long and courageous life. He goes out like his father and his grandmother did, murdered, an act of vengeance for the life of Zechariah. And not only is he not buried with the kings like Jehoiada was, he's not even mentioned in the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament. Again, this is a mind-blowing 180. You just see in the center of his life and in the center of his reign. And again, it all pivots on 2 Chronicles 24-2. He did what was pleasing while his mentor was around. But when Jehoiada wasn't around, when the wind turned, he turned with it. You see, coming back all the way back to the hero's journey, meeting one's mentor is simply step four out of 12. To get stuck there is to be stuck without growth and to be stuck in early stages of development. In the hero's journey, after you meet the mentor, it's supposed to be followed by what is known as the hero's initiation, which is crossing the threshold, right? Accepting the unknown and the adventure. So the question we have to ask as we navigate our faith journey is have I initiated my own faith, stepping from dependence to maturity? You know, we witness 180s like Joash's in our lives because some folks are holding on to a faith that's propped on a person or an institution, but they've never initiated a personal relationship with God. Meeting one's mentor is supposed to be a stage, again, of crucial character development. But when one is completely dependent, it can cripple development. Again, when you're completely dependent on your mentor or the person that's pouring into you, you're not going to develop the way you should. And we see this with our kids. At some point, we have to let them spread their wings. We all want our kids to go out in the world and become adults and make the right decisions. But they're never going to get there unless we let them make their own decisions. Right? Our kids need safety. Our kids need self-esteem. But they're also des- in desperate need of the identity and the confidence that comes from making decisions and even taking risks. Right? But as parents, we can so fear the dangers of our kids exercising their independence to the point where we risk making them dependent. And then they end up like Joash, so dependent 
that they only know how to comply to the loudest voice, not make decisions that are rooted in values. And when they move out and they meet other influences and other voices, they just keep on complying to whatever's the loudest voice in the room. Proverbs 25, 28 says that whoever has no rule over their own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Joash was equipped by Jehoiada to rule on his physical throne, but he was crippled by dependence and never learned to sit on his spiritual throne, to grow in faith and rule how to, to rule his own spirit for himself. His life was built on compliance to counsel, but not character. And we may not have a crown like Joash to wear, but there is a throne we're called to sit on as we rule our spirit and the impulses of our flesh, as it says in Proverbs 25. So the question then becomes, okay, how do I, how do I know how I'm doing? How do I know if I'm walking in the shoes of, of Joash where I'm dependent but not developed? Well, maybe you receive prayer, ask for prayer, which is all well and good, but you don't really ever pray for yourself. You receive the word. You, you receive the word when it's preached. Maybe you're watching sermon clips, but you, you never open up the word for yourself. You depend on people, but are you dependent on God? Because so often we can treat God's word like a rental and never take ownership of it. We can treat the church like a rental and never take ownership of it. Again, you depend on people, but Joash didn't just need a personal relationship with Jehoiada. He needed a personal relationship with Jehovah, right, his heavenly father. We, we know, like I was talking about when I started, like we're children of God. He looks on us as sons and daughters, but he doesn't look on us as, as grandsons and granddaughters. We're not saved by two degrees of separation. You need more than just a deep relationship with a, a mentor or a pastor or a close peer. You need a deep and personal relationship with Jesus. And here's what I'm not saying. <laughs> it's not diminishing the role of mentors because, again, they're pivotal, right? The family of faith, those relationships, but none of those relationships save us. Only Jesus. And oh, sure, in our day, <laughs> we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus. Often that's harped on by people who say, yeah, I don't need the church. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But more and more as I see it, personal has just become synonymous with, with customizable. Right? I have a customizable relationship with Jesus where making God personal is simply synonymous with making him look, sound, and think like I do. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again tonight. Jesus didn't come to indulge us. He came to transform us. And this isn't just character development that we see in a story. No, it's character transformation. The Bible says we're made new creations. You know that Jesus takes us as we are? That's infinitely good news. I didn't have to clean my life up to come to Jesus, which is good news, because at 21, my life was a royal mess. That's good news. But if Jesus would have left me where I was at age 21, that's not good news anymore. My, David, <laughs> my mouth needed transformation, right? My words, my, my, my thought life needed to be transformed. My habits, my, my personal life needed to be transformed. Right? My character needed to be transformed. And praise God, he didn't just leave me on my own in some dorm room and believe in Mary to make that happen. There were people that took me under their wing and became mentors to me, Jehoiadas to me. I can think of Stuart Honenberger. He was the, the leader of the life group that met in the Sadler Center when I was a senior at William & Mary, the first life group I ever attended. Took me under his wing. Nick Hocannon. Many of you remember Nick because he went from Life Church and planted again City Life in that movie theater at Regal Cinemas. These were men who helped me discover my strengths, develop my character, determine my focus, discern my blind spots. And all of that helped me get to me, get me to where I am today. But here's the thing. 
Those relationships aren't what they once were. I graduated William and Mary. I moved out of Williamsburg. Stu's still up there. Nick moved his family down to Atlanta, Georgia. So again, our relationships aren't what they once were. So the question becomes, what happens when your Jehoiada leaves? Right? Is your faith propped to a person or is it connected to Christ? What would happen if city life disappeared tomorrow? What would happen if that person that pours into you daily disappeared tomorrow? Is your faith rooted in Christ or would it crumble because it's more dependent than developed? We all need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And look, just because you've got an, an initiated faith, you want to call it that, where you're walking in relationship with Jesus Christ under his lordship, under his love, that doesn't mean we've completed the journey. I have not arrived. <laughs> I talk about character development. David could amen that too. I still got a ways to go. No, we've just ad- advanced past <laughs> dependence to where we've stepped across the threshold and said yes to Jesus. And whatever purpose you have for my life, whatever adventures ahead of me, I- I'm saying yes. Again, none of this is meant to say that a genuine faith doesn't falter and fall flat on its face multiple times a week, if not daily. But that's why we come here and praise Jesus that he died for our sins. You know what's powerful is you look at Jehoiada's son's last words, may the Lord see what they are doing and avenge my death. To come full circle, praise God that the hero of scripture didn't come as an avenger, right? To avenge sin. Those were Jehoiada's last words, asking for somebody to come and avenge what was done against him. But Jehovah's son, among Jesus' last words, he said from the cross where my sins and your sins nailed him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And thank God that when we come in this place, again, we didn't just have a perfect week, that we can come and receive forgiveness and not vengeance. And maybe you look at where you are tonight. Maybe you look at where you are tonight and you would think, man, I've I've done a 180. (laughs) And I need to do another one and turn around. Or maybe you haven't gone full Joash, but you simply know that you aren't where you once were. Maybe you simply are, you know that you're not where you need to be. You've succumbed to the wrong influences, listened to the wrong voices. If I could have the keyboard player come out, if that's you tonight, you would say, yeah, I don't like the path I'm on. I don't like the voices that are shaping my character. Or I feel like I've been renting God's word, but I haven't taken ownership. If that's you tonight, we're not going to ask you to come to the altar. If that's you tonight, you're online, you can simply hit that prayer button. But I simply want to pray for you. If you're here tonight, you can raise your hand. If you're online, you can click that prayer button. But you just know you're not where you need to be that the the wrong influences have shaped you, then I simply want to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that it says in 1 John, yeah, we want to be like Christ. We want to be without sin. I thank you that it doesn't say that when we sin, Jesus avenges those wrongs. Actually, it says that we don't get an avenger. It says that we get an advocate, an advocate who comes to our aid, that pleads our case, that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And may we feel you come tonight. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is spoken of in Scripture as a counselor, as someone that guides us in all truth. You are the good and perfect mentor. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to and guide each person here, but especially those that are responding tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, but I'm not done. Because maybe a lot of you are like, Well, I'm no Joash, praise God, right? Well, I got a question for you. Who's waiting on you to be their Jehoiada? Right, who's waiting on you? Because the measure of our faith isn't just, well, I'm doing good. (laughs) The measure of following Christ 
who says that the greatest of you will be the servant of all is, is who are you serving? The standard of our culture is I'm not hurting anyone, <laughs> but the standard of following Christ is who are you helping? If your faith is so strong, share it. Right? And maybe you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to, to be a pastor. Neither was Nick. <laughs> Neither was Stuart. But they had a, a strong faith, and they shared it with me, and I'm thankful for that. But you know, Joash's story doesn't have a happy ending. So I don't know if you, you thought this series, every one of those protagonists was going to have a happy ending. Plot twist, sorry. So let me end with this passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 16, where Paul's writing the church in Corinth, and he says, because he's correcting them, he's going in. But he says here, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There's a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Why don't you take that last sentence? There's a lot of people who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't a lot of mentors willing to take the time and effort to help someone else grow up. We've got a lot of people in our culture that are good at calling things out. <laughs> but are you, can we be a people that calls things forth? out of people, right? We got people that, if you can call out mistakes and missteps, that's a dime a dozen, right? We, we love to pull weeds. We don't love to plant seeds. But people that look around and reach out and reach back and help others grow and move forward in Christ, that's priceless. That's supposed to be the church. So may we have eyes to see and a heart to reach out this week and every week to, to be discipled and make disciples because that's kind of our greatest commission, so God, may the foundation of our faith and the foundation we lay at City Life, as we want to love this region the way you loved it, may that foundation be Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We so often think of salvation as, man, have I crossed the line? Have I gotten far enough? Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, and the question was, hey, am I at the center? Jesus, we want you to be at the center of our church, of our lives. God, let there be no other foundation, no other idol in our hearts. Because we know there are so many voices and so many influences that would conform us to the world. But Romans 12 talks about the renewal of our minds. And God, may we walk in that through your word and the Holy Spirit that is in us that promises to guide us in truth. So guide us in our journey. May we cross the threshold <laughs> accepting you as Lord and accepting the purpose and calling and ministry that you've put before us, both as individuals and again, at City Life, where we want to build the church you envision and love the world you came to save. And we say it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we thank you for being here tonight. Uh, it's so good. If you need prayer for anything, Fred's here, I'm here. But otherwise, we ask that you make your way out as we clean this sanctuary again to make it ready for the churches tomorrow. You can linger in the parking lot as late as you want. <laughs> but you just got to, you can't stay in here. We love you guys. And we'll see you next week.